0: Hey, and welcome into the House of L podcast. I am your host, Lawrence Holmes, and this is episode 71 of the podcast. I'm very much looking forward to you listening to the conversation with my guest today, Cameron Smith, that took a little bit of a vacation, took a a week off from doing everything. I decided that I was going to not be creative, put that in quotes, for at least a week. And it felt good. I will say that once I got to about tuesday or wednesday though i was like oh i said i need to be doing some things i did jot down some ideas and i'll be able to put some of those ideas into the podcast and onto the radio show and as we get closer and closer to suit season aka football season i'll i'll do some of that stuff in there too but let me just tell you i vacations for me are really difficult i don't know if you are the same way but I had a great time like at the – we left like right after the Silver Moon block party, which in Hyde Park has become like a thing. And, and all my friends like came down and hung out and it was really cool to be in my neighborhood and spend time with people and dance and laugh. And I, I felt like that was kind of the recharging that I needed. And then the next morning we went and traveled and there was all sorts of stuff that went on with the travel – like I was trying to to get ahead of the game. Like we were traveling first class. And, and it, whether it was to Miami or back from Miami, the, the first class ticket meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. To which Panther said, you know, we should have just flown southwest. Like we usually fly southwest and they don't fly to Miami. They fly to Fort Lauderdale. And she's like, it would have been worth it. And I'm like, I think that you're right. I think that you're right about that. I had a very interesting experience inside of an Uber. I don't speak Spanish well. I speak Spanish enough. I, I like to call it my survival Spanish. I know enough words and phrases that it, it, in, it has gotten me out of trouble in the past, uh, particularly at the Nicaraguan-Costa Rican border. And in this particular case, we had a Uber driver who didn't speak a lot of English. He was an older guy. And I was like, man, don't be an ageist, man. He knows how to get us to the airport. He didn't. He didn't know how to get us to the airport. He thought that we were going to the rental car return and was driving around in circles. And it started raining real bad. And I'm looking at the time. You know how you can look on the, the phone. I'm sitting there like, oh, we are now, we were supposed to get to the airport at 2.22. And it's now saying we're going to get there at 2.50. And that we're seven miles away. So I basically just gave directions in Spanish. And luckily, I was competent enough to get us there. And I thank that driver for putting up with my choppy Spanish. But we were trying to go home. There's nothing I wanted. Even after four days in Miami, beautiful, sunny South Beach, I just wanted to be on my couch So I got to be on my couch, but I'm back now. And I am back with an episode with one of my favorite people in media, Cameron Smith. You've probably seen him on a lot of different places, but maybe didn't know his name. He anchored over at CBS 2 here in Chicago. You've seen him on Comcast 100 doing a lot of the prep games He now works for MSG. He works for Stadium. He works for Overtime. He has a bunch of jobs. His backstory is really interesting because if if you did grow up in Chicago, Cameron Smith was a really good basketball player, so much so that he ended up having a scholarship and playing down at Southern Illinois University, which is where his broadcasting career kind of began. And we talked about that. I think you're going to love this because there is a basketball story in here that is amazing. There there is a time in Cameron's life when he played with one of the greatest players in the world, and he found out exactly why that guy is one of the greatest players in the world. So check it out. We are dropping the episode on, on Cameron's birthday today, which is really great. A really heartfelt and fun conversation about the ups and downs of the business and why you should keep grinding. Here's Cameron Smith. Man, where should we start? Okay, um, I got some ideas about where we should start. All right. Can we talk about basketball for a second? Oh, yeah. No doubt. So how I'll ask you the, the brown sugar question. When did you fall in love with basketball? What was the thing that made it so that basketball was your thing? Man, oof.
1: Okay, all right, all right. Um, Wow, you're talking about a kid from Chicago that grew up in the Jordan era. Like I was born in 85 and I can vividly remember Mike. I'm talking 88 dunk contest, him and Dominique, old Chicago stadium. So that might've been the moment where I fell in love with basketball. Obviously, you know, I'm a kid, I can't do what Mike does. You know, I'm three years old, but I can remember just the atmosphere in our house. Of my dad watching that, my uncle, everyone, right? So that was like the first introduction for me with basketball. Like I, you know, did the. YBL Youth Basketball League in Oak Park. So grew up on the west side of Chicago, but Oak Park was so close to our homes, that was like the right spot to go to because my parents wanted to kind of get me a little cultured and be introduced to uh, (laughs) different races and ethnicities. So they took me and my brother over to Oak Park just to play ball. But I, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. Like that was the goal always, as a kid coming up in Chicago. And then the next vivid memory that just kind of deepened my love was the Bulls' first championship, 1991 against the Lakers, after they clinched it, riding around the city. And my dad had a four-door Mazda at the time. And so my brother and I were taking turns, maybe like at a stoplight or something like that, he had a sunroof on the roof of the car. We would take turns to stand out and put our arms up in the air, watching people just run down the street, people honking horns in their cars, a little looting going on, a little loitering, a lot of that stuff going on because the Bulls just won the first NBA championship in franchise history. So those two moments, the 88 dunk contest in 1991, that NBA finals championship against the Lakers, those were the two moments where I'm like, look, this is what I want to do. This is meant for me.
0: I was on vacation and we had spent the whole day like out and about in the city. We had done everything that we could in Miami that day. We got back to the room. I love to flip channels. So I was flipping channels. And I came across Bulls, Portland, Game Six. And that crazy fourth quarter. Yeah. And so my you know, Mel, she didn't she It grew up in Illinois, but she didn't grow up in Chicago. Right.
1: It's a difference. It's It's a a big difference. Big difference.
0: And so I was sitting there just mesmerized by that game and that comeback and watching them do it without MJ on the floor. It it was, it was Pip and BJ and that second unit that like Bobby Hanson. How about that name? Right. (laughs) It it was those guys who kind of got them back into that thing. And then Jordan came in and closed.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And, and I was just sitting there, and she's going, man, you were like a little kid right now. I'm like, I know, because this this was me as, I, what was I, 16, uh-huh. 16 years old when this happens. I, I wonder if MJ truly realizes. I mean, obviously, he understands that he's had a tremendous impact on damn near everything right. that has to do with sports, sports media, uh, sports culture, gym shoes, yeah. like all of that stuff. But I wonder if he truly realizes how many of us he sparked. I don't think so. I really don't think so. You have to be able to, if you're MJ, you have
1: to go outside of your body, and that's tough for him to do because he's achieved so much. I know that he doesn't really accept being called the greatest, and he kind of moves himself away from that a little bit. But you know, in the back of his mind, MJ is like, yeah, I'm the best to do it, right? But for me, again, growing up in that era, as you did as well, you had a certain respect for even just the number 23. Like, I remember in elementary school at Resurrection on the west side where we would have, like, our fourth or fifth or sixth grade team, and you would see a guy try and reach for number 23. And if you weren't good, you couldn't couldn't rock 23. Like, that was off limits. But even when you would go play a game and you saw someone else with 23 on, It was like, okay, I want to see how good he is because you associate the number 23 with Michael Jordan. And that's just the dynamic that he brought to Chicago where it doesn't even have to be Michael physically that you see. But you see that 2-3, you already know what that represents and the greatness associated with
0: it. I actually had a conversation with our mutual friend, Michael Kim. Nice. We were having a conversation about sneaker culture in Chicago. And I guess he wandered into leaders. Yeah. Because it's not too far from the <laughs> so stadium. Madison yeah. yeah. Yep. And 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 he was saying how in Chicago the the sneaker culture is all kind of grown out of the Jordan Bulls. Yeah. You are know, talking with the guys over at Leaders, like that was kind of their their thesis statement, is that because of what MJ meant. To Bulls fans of a certain age, in the black community in particular, yeah. that it, it kind of grew all this, and that's what I mean. Like, yeah. does he have a really a, a big understanding that he had an impact on you as someone who would play, and then end up being a broadcaster, or on someone like me who'd end up being a broadcaster? Yeah. My first assignment in media, when I was working as an intern at Channel Nine, I covered the '98 team. You're a lucky man. I, I was. Oh, I got in the door wow. at the at the end. Like my internship started in June of ninety-eight. Oh man, that's gold right there. So I got to go out and actually, like, I got to ask a question of Michael Jordan. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? Like, the whole thing is is so bananas to me now. It's so. What number did you end up wearing? Well, I had a I had a few different numbers, so. I was one of those kids where my
1: dad was a coach in elementary school. So I had an older brother who was four years older than me. So when he was on the fifth and sixth grade team, I was like in second grade. So my dad just put me on the team because I was the coach's son. And I got like, you know, a number 13 or a number six or something like that. I got the weird numbers. But until I got older and I started to kind of associate guys that really kind of I tried to model my game after. And, yeah, Mike was the hero, right? But you you weren't trying to do fadeaways at age, you know, 12. You're not doing that, right? So I associated myself with more of the guards around that time. So if you're talking mid-90s, Stefan Marbury, Alan Iverson. So I gravitated towards the number three. So that was the number that I went with in elementary school, and that changed a little bit when I got to eighth grade because, as I mentioned, my brother's four years older. In high school, he rocked number five, so I was like, okay, well, I want to be like my big brother. So I started rocking number five like he did as well. And so I've had so many different numbers, like number 11, because I wanted to pay homage to Isaiah Thomas and him being a fellow Westsider. We actually went to the same elementary school and resurrection that I mentioned, so that was more so... Junior, senior year of high school, and also in college. Then my final season, my final collegiate season at Southern Illinois University, I wore number two, just because I just wanted something different. So I rocked that to finish things out.
0: How did you end up at Southern?
1: Wow, um, <laughs> a lot of failure and thinking that I was going to get a Division One scholarship, and that was a big thing for high school kids at that time. So. If you're young right now and you're listening to this, there was no YouTube. There was no Instagram story or mixtapes being put out. It was like you had to go out to camps and you had to play. So I uh, went to five-star basketball camp out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The legendary Howard Garfinkel ran that camp for decades. I'm talking about players like Isaiah Thomas, LeBron, Jordan even played there, Carmelo Anthony. Um, And I actually played with LeBron when we were entering our sophomore years of high school. Really cool guy. That's crazy. Yeah, like that story is unbelievable in so many ways. So I'll tell that quickly and get back to answer your question. So... Going into my sophomore year, I heard about Five Star. My brother was there, What made the all-star teams. I knew what Five Star was about. And this is like gritty. You're outside playing ball. You're not in a nice conditioned gymnasium where you're getting fed Gatorade or anything like that. This is in the summer, shirts and skins. You're out there going through drills, playing five-on-five, all of that stuff. So it was like true basketball that I loved. So I'm there, first time out. And what they do is when you, your first day, you basically just play pickup. And so you have coaches, some are college coaches. I remember Sam Clancy, who used to play for USC, a big guy, was actually my coach, My me and LeBron James' coach for that team for that week. So you play pickup, and the coaches would be on the side. And if you made a nice move or layup or crossover or whatever it was, you're running back down on defense, and the coaches are like, hey, what's your name? And you're running back, and I'm like, Cameron Smith, you know, trying to get back on defense and still be involved in the game. So that night, the coaches draft. All right. So the next morning you meet your teammates. So the next morning after you go through your stretches and you eat breakfast, it's time to meet your new team. You go through drills with your team. I'm from Chicago. There's a certain bravado about that. I'm confident. I play with a chip on my shoulder like, okay, I got guys from Indiana or Iowa, La, let's New call York, it, what, all of that. it it's cocky. it's, oh, yeah, not, it's, it's definitely not, cocky. It's, it's definitely not confident.
0: Cocky. It's it's, it's yeah, more than that,
1: especially at that age too. You're talking teenagers, so if you don't carry a certain cockiness, you're gonna get run over, especially and, out there.
0: And for people who don't know, like West Side versus South Side is a thing.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. If you're from out west, then you're you're a different type of ball player. Like you're willing to die for a win. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to know what West Side basketball is it about, is about. Look at Patrick Beverly of the Los Angeles Clippers. He is the epitome of West Side basketball in the city of Chicago. All
0: right, so I got you yeah. off track. So you're no, no, good, you're, good. you're you're out here and you're looking and you're like, oh, this dude's from Indiana. He yeah. ain't bleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this dude, this dude's from Las Vegas. He ain't got nothing for me. Yeah. St. Louis dudes always talking Yang. They ain't got nothing, nothing. to say either. And then what happens? And
1: then we're going through drills and I see a kid about 6'4", 6'5", skinny, but just like a really nappy fro, right? And I'm like, "Okay, well, he's pretty good. Like he's going through the drills, dribbling through his legs, athleticism, all of that." I'm like, "All right, well, cool. Well, we'll be decent this week. Like I'll be the point guard. I got a running mate with him. It was another guy that was pretty solid out of um out of uh, like the DC area." So I'm like, "All right, we're cool. I'm good." I found I find out who this man was. I'm walking with my head coach Scott who who is a longtime camp, camp counselor at Five star and I'm walking with about maybe about six or seven of my teammates. So we always went as a big group, maybe seven to ten players from Gordon Tech High School on the north side for maybe a week or two to five star out in Pittsburgh. So we're walking, getting ready for lunch. And there's so many hills in Pennsylvania. It is ridiculous. So we're walking down a hill, and our coach is walking with us, and he's going down the line asking each player, you know, how's your team look? What do you think you're gonna be like this week? What position are you gonna play? Guys are answering here and there, like, yeah, we'll be fine. I'll be well, my team isn't that good, or I'm gonna have to carry the load, whatever. He gets to me, and and everyone, high school-wise, my family, they call me CJ. That's my nickname. So he's like, CJ, how's your team look? I'm like, well, we should be fine, coach. You know, I'll be playing point guard, and we got some, like, some kind of skinny kid. Like, he's pretty good, Um, like a nappy fro. Like, he's pretty – he's all right. And so my coach stops everyone, dead in our tracks, like put his arms out and stopped everyone, turned to me and looked and said, well, he better be pretty good. And I'm looking at him like, again, no YouTube at the time. Internet wasn't a big thing. You can't go online and type in someone's name and see highlights. So he looks at me and said, well, he, pre- he better be pretty good. I'm like, what are you talking about, coach? I'm like, what, what's going on? He's like, he's the number one player in the country. I'm like, okay, well, what's his name? Again, the Chicago's kicking in. Like, okay, yeah, so what? He's the number one player. That he, ain't the, he ain't from Chicago. He ain't from Chicago. ain't nothing. So he's like, I'm like, what's his name? It's like, LeBron James. I'm like, okay, cool. It didn't register, right, until – Later on that day, we played our first game, and I saw greatness. And I'm talking again. This is us, sophomore summer of our going into our sophomore year. That dude put on an absolute show. Lawrence, at the end of the week, he was the only other player next to Michael Jordan because the the age group that we played in was more like the lower classmen in high school. He won an All Star vote, an All Star selection for our age group. And also played in the older age group with juniors and seniors and was an all-star there. And I believe he won MVP awards in both of those all-star games. So the only other players to be able to do that was Michael Jordan when he played at five-star camp. So that just lets you know how great of a player back then LeBron was. But I saw some things I'd never seen on a basketball court. Like what? Well, one thing is, well, we're on a fast break. Outdoors, again, gritty, it's hot outside, most guys kind of quit, they don't want to play hard, or whatever it is this dude was non-stop in energy right, so again, as I mentioned 6'4", athletic, I'm on the break I throw a lob to him, and the rule on the in the camp is that you can't dunk because in maybe the early 80s there was a guy maybe ranked about, you know, the number 2 or 3 spot in the country, he dunked the ball, but a guy bridged him fell on his back, and became paralyzed for the rest of his life. So they outlawed dunking at five-star. You couldn't dunk. You did that, you got attacked tech, or you had to sit out for the next game. We're on the break. I lob the ball up, all right? It's a two-on-one break. The defender is about a 6'9", 6'10 guy. He jumps up in the air for the ball as I lob it up again. 6'9, six, 6'10. Six, when he jumps and he puts his arms up, his arms are basically at the rim. I'm thinking he's going to snatch the ball. I knew LeBron was running, but I was thinking, okay, well, maybe I threw it too low. Lawrence, it was something out of a movie. I see LeBron jump in the air. The 6'10 guy's arms are up. He's getting ready to grab the ball. LeBron comes over the top of him, hands down, like he's reaching in the basket, snatches the ball away from the guy and lays it in all in one motion. I stopped playing. The ball came back down the other end. I had to rush and get back because I couldn't believe what I saw. Like this is a guy, again, that jumped so high in the air that he's able to reach down, snatch a ball basically from a 6'10 guy who's already in the air, arms by the rim, hands over the rim, and lays it in all in one motion. Unbelievable. When I saw that, I'm like, yep, I'm sold. This is the next dude. It sounds weird.
0: When you see greatness like that, it's hard to – It's hard to figure out, like, what you saw.
1: Right. It it takes a moment to process it, right? Again, from Chicago, I think I've seen it all. Like, I've seen, like, Michael Herman. I've seen Isaiah. I've seen Tim Hardaway. Like, all of these guys, Q Rich, all of these guys that I deem great that, man, nobody can compare to them outside of Chicago. When I saw that, I'm like, that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that while I was playing basketball. That blew me away. And it just, again, I'm like, damn, this dude is from Akron, Ohio? What in the hell are they eating in Akron, Ohio to produce that? Because that is not in
0: Chicago. And it's nowhere else on this earth. What, what's cool about that is all of us have a story. Yeah. Like, again, someone that you played with or you played against that kind of put things into perspective for you. For me, it was Cliff Floyd. Ah. Right. I saw Cliff Floyd hit a home run. He's a couple years ahead of me. Uh-huh. Uh, hit a home run at HF. Like, that dude with an aluminum bat was lethal. <laughs> and those were the old aluminum bats that had that, that mm-hmm. pop. That noise, them. that ping. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he was pinging. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I can't do that. You know, Like, and you find out, you go, oh, oh, there's other people who yeah. do great, great <laughs> yeah. things. But to be able to have on your resume played ball with LeBron James. It's big. That's it's big. That's outstanding. And
1: you know what? A few years ago, I was telling this story on Twitter, and so my old high school coach actually sa- he saves everything. So he saved the ro- the original roster from that, that session of five-star, and it has our names listed, and you see 6'5", LeBron James, Akron, Ohio, 5'11", Cameron Smith, Chicago, Illinois. Like, it's right there on my roster. Like, I have the picture in my phone right now. So, I'm like, if I see LeBron and, and have a second, I'm going to try and bring that up to see if he remembers. Because you know he has a great memory, right? right? He can recall stuff from 10 years ago, specific plays that he and games that he played in. So, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try and challenge his memory to see if he, if he remembers this. That'll be cool if he does. That is
0: outstanding. So, all of this leads you, how do you end up yeah. at Southern? Well, after that...
1: Two years later, my senior year, I go back to Five Star. I have an outstanding camp. So I get offered by Lehigh University, where C.J. McCollum played. And at this time, I'm like, okay, well, that's good. It's a Division One offer. It's something I've been working for. But I'm going to play my senior season out to see what other offers I can get. Right, Thinking that I'm going to have an outstanding senior year, average this amount of points. My team is probably going to try and make it downstate. Didn't really go that well like that. All right. So after the season was over, my head coach put me in contact with Matt Painter. Who had taken over the head coaching spot at Southern Illinois after Bruce Weber left for the University of Illinois? So I go down there that summer with my highlight reel tape with my parents and I go meet with Coach Painter and he watches the tape, uh, allows me to kind of see a workout with the team that summer and says, Well, if you are able to hang with these guys, I'll, I'll allow you a, ro- a roster spot as a walk on. I'm like, All right, cool. I'm no stranger to hard work. I know walk-ons, it's not the glamorous thing. But at the same time, though, I know I can stick it out and some things will open up. And that's how what led me to Southern Illinois on top of – the school having the major that I wanted to go in, which was communications and broadcast television. So it was it was a number of things that kind of led me to Southern, whether it was basketball, the major that I wanted to go into, and also had family in Carbondale. So I had a, a couple of older cousins that went to SIU. So I'm like, all right, well, it makes sense. I went there, and it turned out to be the greatest four years of basketball I've ever experienced in my life.
0: What about the experience down in Carbondale was so great when it came to the basketball? It was just another level of work ethic that I
1: had never tapped into. And you hear guys talk about, you know, well, each lever get level it gets tougher from high school to college, college to the pros. But I'd never worked that hard in my life. And it was maybe for two months. And not to say that I was slacking or didn't really work on my game. Like I knew what work was. My older brother kind of put me through the ringer in terms of going long distance running or doing skill work, all of those things. But at the same time, though, there's a difference between when you get to college is how you eat. It's the weight training it's the physicality of the game and more so the, the mental aspect of how you read and see things. So that opened my mind up and just made me a better player. So just off of this off of the strength of that, that made it a great experience. But then also we achieved so much at SIU. So you look at that era from 2003 to 2007. We won the conference every single year. We made the NCAA tournament every single year. So freshman year in 03, we lost to Alabama in the first round out in Seattle. Two thousand and four, we lost to Oklahoma State second round in Oklahoma City, which was basically a home game for them. For sure, so many memories off of that thing. Uh, and actually, it's funny because John Lucas the third was on that Oklahoma State team, like as small and diminutive as, as as you can think of. That was him, like five six, and running that that thing that they they had with Oklahoma State. And you remember that they lost to Arizona which led to Arizona U of I and the miracle comeback with Dee Brown, Darren Williams. And, and Rosemont. Yep, at Rosemont. So that, that was that, that year. Junior year, we lost to West Virginia in Detroit. First round, Kevin Pitts Noggle. That West Virginia team. When he
0: was going crazy hitting threes, yeah, like
1: going nuts. John line led offense too, so John line was the head coach there. And then senior year, we lost to Kansas in the Sweet Sixteen when they had like eight NBA guys, like Brandon Rush, uh, Sasha Khan, Julian Wright,
0: an HF guy, Julian Wright. HF. So they were stacked. And I want to say, God, I want to say, DePaul beat them. Really? Yeah. Like is it maybe two thousand and five? A team, maybe 2006. I got to go look it up. But okay. I remember it was like the biggest moment ever, and whatever. <laughs> anyway, so 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 you have a great time down at Southern. Yeah. But while you're playing basketball, you're making yourself available to what's going on in the communication right. program. So when did you know that you wanted to use basketball as a jumping off point to do this? The biggest
1: realization was when I went against guys like Jamal Tatum, Tony Young, Darren Brooks, Stetson Harrison, Brian Mullins. These are five guys that have been elected into the uh, SIU's Basketball Hall of Fame. Mm. So I'm like, mm, yeah, I think uh, my basketball career is about to end at this level. I don't think it's going anywhere further. I don't want to go overseas. I know I'm a solid player, but let's just end this thing right now. So... The tough thing about trying to balance basketball with academics and trying to get involved in uh, River Region News down on campus at SIU was you really don't have any time for anything because you got practice, you got schoolwork, you're traveling for games, all of these things and responsibilities that you have to make sure you're keeping track of. So I actually had to take a year off my junior year at SIU to focus on just getting into River Region News down there so I can do some news stories and have some kind of reel. So when I graduated, I had something to show if I went to a station uh, and said, hey, can you hire me? Okay, here's my reel if you want to see something. So I took that junior year off and thankfully, uh, the head coach at the time, Chris Lowry, who's a, one of the best coaches I've ever had in my life, he's an assistant with Ken's, Kansas State now with Bruce Weber, understood what I was trying to do. And we had a conversation, and he put it as, as point blank as possible, said, hey, you're basically not going to play. Like, we love what you do in practice. You're a smart player. You get the guys ready. Um, I was on scholarship at the time. I was like, look, coach, I appreciate everything, but at the same time, I got to think about my future. So we came to a mutual agreement, hey, Step away. If you want to come back, the door is always open. Perfect. That whole junior year, worked my tail off just trying to get as much packages and interviews as possible. So then my senior year came, and again, I wasn't going to play that much anyway. So I was still able to kind of balance still being on the team, but also if I had to miss a practice because I had to shoot a news package or do a a five o'clock or evening show for River Region News, my coach would allow me to do that. And then also, Again, some, some of the bigger games, like we played Evansville at Evansville, I did the color commentary for that game for the broadcast for Southern. So that was one of those things where any other coach, I'm not sure if they would allow a player on the team. It's one of those you're all in or you're not in with this and there's no in-between. Chris Lowry allowed me to do that. That's why I'm forever indebted with him. So those that year and a half from junior to senior year, I was able to piece as much together as possible and really try and involve myself with my major, so that when I graduated, I had something.
0: What did that mean to you that you were given that much leeway to pursue this while continuing to be a member of the team?
1: Uh, I've always thought about this and what allowed me a longer leash than other guys and it goes back to what my mom taught me and my dad as well like you have to be a good person like there's no way if I was a guy you know mouthing off in practice or not working as hard or getting into trouble that Coach Larry or the coaching staff or even my teammates would allow me to kind of do both things and try and jump in and out as much as I did so I think it's a credit to me understanding of how you treat people, how you carry yourself, like all of that matters. So it allows people to say, okay, well, look, I know that you have this situation going on. Normally we don't do this, but since you're a good guy and you're a great credit to the program, we'll allow you to do it. And at the end of the day, if it becomes a success, it makes us look good, right? So that's always a great thing as well. So those are the things that played in my head that made me realize that, hey, this is why I have this privilege to balance both. Now, best believe if, I start to slack off academically or in practice or whatever it was, then nope, you got to choose. It's one or the other. So I understood that even um, as, a, as a junior and a senior in college.
0: You've carried that approach of just being a good person into the professional ranks. I appreciate that, Al. Thank you. And it's not easy. I mean, this is a cutthroat business where a lot of times it's the squeaky wheel or the person who has the oversized personality that ends up getting ahead. Yeah why do you think that that is still ingrained in you to be a good person in a a a business that sometimes doesn't always allow for that you know, to be the case um there are a few names uh, as i mentioned my mother
1: she allowed me to to stay humble and even when i thought as a young kid that you know i was the the next michael jordan or the next nba player She was like, okay, that's good. Go in and uh, wash the dishes or take the trash (laughs) out or sweep these (laughs) floors. That's good. So those pieces of just humble pie that she gave me just always kept me grounded. Uh, So my mom, my dad, of course, but then my grandmother. She was was one of the people that allowed me to, one, be as honest as I could, but also at the same time with her and through conversations with her, but at the same time allowed me to understand the bigger picture. Because she said that, you know, there's really – No reason for someone to be around anyone else that is just, you know, arrogant or someone that, you know, uh, is mean to them. Like, you always want to keep a good spirit, whether that's uh, ingrained in you through your family or through your religious beliefs, if you believe. Um, But it's one of those things for me that I understood that, hey, this is the best part of me. This is something that I always can keep and no one can take take it away from me, no matter what situation I'm in. Right. I mean, no matter if I'm a star basketball player or if I'm on television, I know at the end of the day that I'm Cameron Smith. I'm just a regular guy, just like anyone else. Just CJ. Just CJ. That's all I am. That's all I am. That's how my. That's who my family knows me as. That's who my wife knows me as. And no accolade, no achievement, no status can allow me to this head. My I got a big head already physically, but allow my head <laughs> to swell anymore. It's just my family won't allow it, and
0: that's just that's just how we roll. It's always been like that. Okay, so I I wanted to make sure I got this right. Uh-huh. DePaul beats Kansas, sixty four to fifty seven. This is December 2nd, 2006. I called this game. Wow. It was insane. It was in Rosemont. Sammy Mejia. Remember Sammy I Mejia? remember Sammy Mejia. Went off for 23 in that game, and they beat Kansas. Maybe that was a wake-up call for Kansas because they had a,
1: a yeah. nice run after that. Yeah,
0: they had a real nice run after that, and it was – God, that was Mario Chalmers' team. Mario Chalmers, listen
1: that that lineup was so ridiculous when you look at that roster. I'm seriously eight NBA guys. So Mario Chalmers, Sharon Collins, these are guys Julian that were drafted, Wright. Julian Wright that played in the NBA. Sasha Khan, Darnell Jackson, um, uh, Darrell Arthur. That I mentioned him. I'm not sure if I did. You had one of the twi- oh, twins or Rod- Roderick twins, Roderick and Loderick Stewart, I believe. Uh, Brandon Rush. Brandon Rush as well. Listen, Brandon Rush, the first moments where I realized that this is going to be a tough game, fast break, maybe the first two minutes of the game, Brandon Rush gets a steal. And this is the difference between the blue blood McDonald's All-American elite athlete compared to the mid-major athlete, what we had at SIU. (laughs) Brandon Rush gets a steal. He takes a dribble just inside of half court, maybe another dribble, um, and takes just two big steps, and I just see him glide from just inside the free throw line and finger roll the basketball. He just glided to the rim, and you remember he used to wear those arm, those wristbands. So it, it looked something like Clyde Drexler ish as he glided to the rim. And my coach Chris Lowry called a timeout. Like, nope, this is not happening. Let's stop that right now. We cannot allow these athletes to get out in space. So that that was like the the one thing where I was like, yeah, we don't we don't have guys like that. So we gotta make this thing ugly, and that was our thing. Like floorborn you, we're gonna make you f- work for everything you get. It's gonna be physical as hell. So, but they they had a hell of a roster, a hell of a roster.
0: What's been your favorite part of being a professional? Like, is there an interview that you've done or a moment that you've covered that you were like, yeah. man, this is pretty cool? I, I would say
1: Jabari Parker. I always go back to that interview that I had with him. So. His junior and senior years of high school at Simeon on the south side uh, with Comcast, I freelance with them. I still freelance with them uh, here and there. But we do a 30-minute show on the winner of the Mr. Basketball Award. And so I would known Jabari for, for a number of years. Like, again, me growing up on the west side and his dad, Sonny, was all over the city just helping so many different kids. But he had the James Jordan Center literally a couple of blocks away from the United Center where West side kids, Southside kids, whatever, can go in, work out, play basketball, just kind of keep themselves away from the streets. So Sonny had his league in the summer. My brother would play. I was too young to kind of really get into the games. Um, but it was one of those things where for him, his family, and our family, we just gravitated towards each other. And I had a cousin that worked for Sonny. Had known had known him for a long time. Uh, Another older cousin, Tony Brown, that's an assistant coach for the Washington Wizards, went to Farragut High School, played at Arkansas. So he and Sonny knew each other because they played ball around that same era. So like mid to late 70s, early 80s in that Chicago, um, I guess, uh, uh, pack that came out, out of the city. But Jabari was like the chubby kid that you had to kind of like force off of the court. Because I remember he would get in the way of games like he would run on the court just so he can go shoot and the rest would have to stop the game because this little chubby kid is running on the court again. Like nobody's going to say anything because it's Sonny's son and you know all oh, this, you know, he has a love for the game, but still he just had a liking to it. So I already had that a relationship, but it was one of those things where I sat down with his mom, Lola Parker. And if you remember the movie Blue Chips. And you remember Butch McCrae's mother, Leveda McRae? Yep. And she was talking to Nick Nolte, and they were underneath the L, right? And she just let it out, you know, flat out to him, as transparent as, as 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 she could. Like, here's what I need. Here's what I need, right? Not to say that Lola Parker it was was saying, "Here's what I need. We need to be paid." But she didn't she didn't hold any punches, especially when it came to her kids and her family. So she set me down uh, with my camera guy, and she said. Cameron, this is why we're doing this interview. One, because we have a relationship with you that we've known you and your family for years. But also, we know that you're going to do this interview right. And mind you, Jabari was like number one player in the country for two years between him and Andrew Wiggins, his junior and senior seasons. They didn't do interviews with ESPN. They kind of rarely did anything with Sports Illustrated. If you remember, Jabari was on the cover of one issue of Sports Illustrated, but they never really opened themselves up to the media where you can fully dive in and look at pictures or sit down with Lola or Sonny or Jabari and just talk about more than basketball. And that's why that interview was so memorable because we went off into subjects that didn't revolve around a game. We mm-hmm. talked about his religion and his family being Mormons. We talked about his focus on academics. And he always said that I don't want to be remembered as a basketball player. I want to be remembered as Jabari Parker, the person. Now, this is the number one player in the country, probably the world, saying that, yeah, basketball is cool. It's what I do, but it's not who I am. So those things stick out in my mind. I'm looking at him. I'm like, man, this kid's 17, and I'm probably, what, 26 probably at the time, 27. I'm like, man, I need to get my stuff together, man. (laughs) I got to change my thinking. This kid is more mature than I am. (laughs) <laughs> and you just see how he lives his life now, like he's big into the 60s and listening to Sam Cooke and riding his old school cars. But that's always been him. He's just always been an old soul that thinks outside of the box. And that's why it's, it's, it's my, my, my most memorable interview and in the time where I said, I'm glad that I'm, I'm a professional and I can tell this story the right way. So it just kept me, it gave me more motivation to go out and seek more stories like that, to talk about kids from backgrounds that, okay, well, you see, because he's a good basketball player, that's all he is. No, it's a lot more underneath the surface that makes that player who he is or that athlete who or she is, which is great. I love telling those stories.
0: You've made a name in prep sports uh, in the area. What's your advice to someone who is covering preps on how to do it the right way? Stay true to who you are, man. Don't try and
1: be someone that you're not. And also just trying to keep that genuine attitude. So I'll start off by saying by staying true to who you are because you can get easily influenced by saying, okay, well, this is what works and this is the hot thing, so let me start doing that. What I tried to do with my early years, especially when it came to color commentary, was making sure that, one, I knew the game. I knew that I can break things down. But at the same time, I wasn't kind of like the robot where okay, that was a good pass down to the post and that was a good two-handed dunk or, you know, layup. No, I want to have fun with it. Like, I, I want to talk to those kids that are watching the game and 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 have them understand of why that pass to the post worked because of how the kid worked the angles or found a nice spot to get it to the big guy down low. And then I'll throw my own little youthful energy into it, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, it, it, he's in his bag right now, you know, if a guy goes off for like six straight points or, you know, this is a guy that, you know, is flamethrowing from the arc if he knocks down consecutive three-pointers. So I like to try and keep that aspect within my calls to make sure that, hey, yeah, you might see me and like, okay, he's a little bit older, but at the same time I'm still young at heart because people will look at, you know, anyone in their 30s and like, oh, man, you're old. Like you don't know what you're talking about. Chill out. When you get 30, you understand. So that would be my advice for those starting fresh out into the game is to, Understand who you are and really look yourself in the mirror and find what you do best and stick to that. Just work on it, work on it, work on it. Like it took me years to really feel comfortable. In front of the camera. Like I I know it was the same thing for you, whether it was on air or in front of the camera, where it's something that you had to work on, right? You might have tried things out and it's like, oh, you look back at that tape or listen back to that show. Horrible. It's like, oh my God, what in the hell was I thinking, bro? Like, no, that's not me. So but you it helps you because it gets back to that, that, you know, uh, uh, stride that you want to get to and developing your own style. So that would be the, the biggest advice is, is trying to stay true to who you are and making sure that you're staying genuine with every conversation, every meeting. Everyone is not trying to offer you something just because you shook hands with them and said, hey, how you doing? I, I'm Derek. Oh, OK. I'm Lawrence Holmes. How can I connect with you? How can I work with you? It doesn't work like that. Like, some things, over time, they just build and build and build. And that was the thing for me, seeing you out, seeing uh, guys like Stephen Bardo or Scoop Jackson. It wasn't more so like, all right, well, that's Lawrence Holmes. Let me try and get his contact information. Let me start emailing him or trying to text him and just bug bug the hell out of him to try and get something (laughs) so he could put me on. Like, so many people think that and they come up to me now, whether it's through emails or uh, seeing me in person. Like, Cam, man, you're doing this, you're doing that. Put me on. It's like, it's not that easy, bro. Like, if I had that kind of power, it would be, yeah, I would try to see what I could do. But at the same time, though, you really aren't trying to give a chance to a guy that you're going to put your name on the line for if you say, hey, this is Marcus or this is Tony. Uh, give this kid a shot. And he goes in and just wrecks it. Now that's a stain on your record. So it's more sort of developing those relationships and having those people seeing you out working. Just head to the ground, 10 toes down, working, working, working. And that was my thing. Like, I knew at some point, I was gonna get noticed and kind of get the recognition that I'm starting to get now. So,
0: yeah, I figured that. I, I thought, I mean, obviously, like with the SIU thing, and the Bardo's are big oh, down in, in Carbondale. Big time, big time. I, I was gonna ask, like, who are the who are the broadcasters that you said? God, I, I want to be like that. Like that's yeah. that's. Those, I want to take a little bit of this and a yeah, little bit of this, yeah. and a, along with what I am, and yeah. turn it into my final product.
1: Yeah, I, I took a little bit of Stephen Bardo, I took a little bit of Ahmad Rashad, I took a little bit of Gus Johnson, just a little bit of Gus, just a little bit, not you just, too much. That's all you Gus, need. Right, just a little because you can't do, you can't <laughs> go full Gus. If you go full Gus, then people know you're trying to be Gus, so you can't do that. Um, but I just tried to take what they did best, but also things that catered to me and what I liked and tried to form it within my own style so whether it's bringing kind of like a a certain comedy or just kind of you know uniqueness or youthfulness about my calls like Steven does or like Gus does, but also at the same time, just the laid back, chill approach like Amara Rashad. Like Amara Rashad was my guy. NBA inside stuff Saturday mornings. I wanted to be the next Amara Rashad. That was my backup plan if I didn't make the league. I wanted to be the next Amara Rashad. And I still want to be just because of the, what he was able to do when you see a guy like David Robinson. Of course, as a kid, you just see him dunking the basketball, playing for the Spurs, but with David Robinson, he played the saxophone. I'm like, wait a minute, David Robinson plays the saxophone? Only Ahmad Rashad was able to kind of pull that out, at least visually from what I saw, right? Or even a guy like Grant Hill playing the piano. I'm like, man, Grant Hill plays the piano? What's going on right now? Well. Yes, very well. Very well. So that's what I loved about what Ahmad Rashad did. So I'm like, let me, let me take a piece of that. That this personality, that, that calmness, that friendship that he had with players to open them up and have them just tap into those areas where if it was someone else, like nah, I really don't feel comfortable opening up to you that way. But if they have that relationship with you and they feel that comfort, then they'll do that. Same thing with Jabari Parker. Like I was like, okay, well, we have the established relationship already, but you didn't have to tap into so many different areas that he uh, didn't want to if he didn't feel comfortable with me, and he felt comfortable, and we went th- that way. So I, I just take those pieces and just try and mold them within how I want to go about things.
0: You are out here grinding right now, man. I'm surprised I'm awake right now. I'm really appreciative that you took the time to to sit down with me and do this. How are you balancing everything? Wow.
1: Um, I'm a believer in God, so i would say a great God and a loving, very, very, very— I'll add another very, very— I'll add one, too. Very— Understanding wife. (laughs) I would not have the— uh movement and flexibility if my wife was saying, look, I know this is your passion, this is your career, but you gotta kinda focus in and and do some things differently because it's starting to become too much. So we have a two and a half year old son. My wife and I just celebrated four years of marriage last month. Um but she's always been a writer. Like even before I got on television, I was just trying to get on in terms of like having a WGN Look at my reel. Like, I went up to WGN so many times. They knew me by name. Like, they said, Cameron, okay, we got your reel. Like, this is starting to become a little scary. Like, chill out. Stop coming up here. And I'm just like, well, I'm just trying to get on. You know, I'm trying to get on. I'm like, okay, we we get that. If they. Watch your reel. They'll be in contact with you. Please don't come back. Basically, like, banning me from the station over at Bradley Pace, man. So it's always funny when I walk up there now, I always have that memory of basically, you know, nicely saying that you're banned from WGN because you keep coming up here week after week after week. And I was young. I'm youthful. I'm like, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it. Not understanding that. Everything is a process, and that's another message that I want to kind of give to people that are just starting and getting into the business where you can't force success, right? You have to try and sit back and be patient, and that was one of those things that I learned as I got older because I was a person where, look, coming from the basketball background and aspect, I'm like, look, i work on this. i work on that. I should have immediate success. And that's how just my mind operated. Like you put in this amount of work, you go out and perform, you should be, you know, exalted or, you know, celebrated as for what you do. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You think you're good? There are a hundred more people that are even better than you right now. So it goes back to listening to those old radio shows that I'm sure you have or me watching my old broadcast like, nah, I thought I had it, but I didn't. And so you have to understand that and look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Again, look at the bigger picture, continue grinding and sharpening your skills, and you'll get there. So for me, that was, that was the journey of, of
0: everything. Run me all the jobs right now. Whew. How much time we got? We got a little bit of time. Run, run me the okay. job so that, so that people understand what I'm talking about. When well, you are out okay. here really grinding, explain to folks everything that you're doing.
1: Wow. Okay. So more recent as of two months ago, I thankfully worked a show in New York uh, called MSG 150 for Madison Square Garden Networks. Unbelievable show. One of the best experiences I've ever had in my 11 years in the business. Uh, Bill Pito, longtime ESPN anchor, was the host. Uh, My homegirl Monica McNutt, who works out of D.C., she calls a lot of Fox Sports, Women's College Basketball. Alan Hahn does a lot of things with the Knicks on MSGN, has his own ESPN radio show out there. Uh, John Wallace, big John Wallace, used to play for Syracuse. He was a, a personality on there as well. Julianne Viani Wally Zerbiak was on the show. So flying back and forth to New York was was awesome. So that was job number one for the summer. And most of the time, my summer is a little bit down. It's a little bit slower because the majority of my freelance work comes from Comcast. And Comcast does a lot of high school sports. So when high school's not in season or it's the summertime and school's out, it kind of dries up unless you're going to do a feature with maybe a hometown guy that's throwing a, a camp, you know, basketball, football, whatever. So... Madison Square Garden Networks, Overtime in New York, all right? Freelancing for Comcast. That's three. We're at three. Thankfully, an outstanding star, Afia Wuzu, over at the jam, has allowed me to come in and do some guest co-hosting, and I love it over there. It's so much fun. So that's freelance gig number four, yep. all right? Thankfully, Stadium Network over at the United Center, where you're at, uh, brought me in doing an NBA show with Amina Smith and Sham Sharania. Love it and doing game time in America. with Working Dave Ross. with two
0: stars over there. Yes,
1: it's. I mean, iron sharpens iron. Iron, and I know you believe that. So that's what I'm at right now. So that's that's number five. On top <laughs> of that, on top of that, because I mentioned my summers are usually slow before like the whole MSG New York thing worked out and the Stadium worked out and and the jam, I would do. After School Matters teaching in the summer for high school students and also during the school year uh, for True Star Magazine. And I would teach students about journalism, how to write, how to interview, uh, certain uh, career readiness skills that will prepare them, you know, if they want to just kind of get a job at McDonald's or also if they really had a passion for journalism and media. So I would teach them that in the summer months or during the school year. And then this is, I think we're going to be at number seven after this one, is uh, the Illinois Media School. So I teach over at the Illinois Media School a few days out of the week. I haven't been there as much as possible just because my schedule has been too crazy to balance. But I'm over there for people that, you know, are just out of high school, maybe later on in their years and they want to have a career change. I do things over there a few days out of the week. So that's, that's seven. Seven things that I'm trying to balance on top of being a husband, on top of being a father. Uh, father to a two-and-a-half-year-old yeah. two two who's and old and old. Old.
0: running around. Yes.
1: That's why I added all those varies to the understanding wife. One, one more. <laughs> Very. Very. Yes.
0: So so of, of all these things, I remember we sat down and we had breakfast. And I was trying to tell you, I was like, it's coming. Like, it's coming. Yeah. And I'm so happy that it has like that now you've been put in a position where you can show all the different yeah facets of what it is that you can do especially like you and you and Amina and Shams like that to me is like a rock star like that's like a super group that's love that's love. I'm, I appreciate I'm, that I'm, I'm dead Thank serious because I mean I love Shams yeah. And he's got, like, all the connects. Like, he's on his phone. You're like, wait,
1: who are you talking to? Shams is, like, one of the
0: greatest multitaskers of all
1: time. Like, he can be on a text and still be involved in the show, raise his head up, answer the question, go back to his text, take a call while he's texting, still be tapped into everything around him,
0: and not miss a beat. He's also one of the greatest media stories ever. Yes. Like, considering his grind and everything. And Amina... Amina's on a rocket, man. She's a like, star. She's an absolute Bonafide. star. Yeah. And the three of you together, like, it just, it works. Yeah. Like, it yeah. absolutely works. So you're you're having to balance all of this. Mm-hmm. How? How in the world are you balancing all of these different jobs, still being a great husband, still yeah. being a great father? It's going back to
1: just who I am as a person. I, I try to make sure that I'm as genuine and honest as possible, but also letting everyone know what I have going on. Right again, it goes back to me trying to balance basketball and getting involved with River Region News down in Carbondale. Like that doesn't happen if I'm just a, you know a lazy dude or didn't care whatever it is. Like people pick up on energy, and I feel, and this is what I've heard of people letting me know, like, yo, you're a good dude. Like so, I mean, if you have some things going on and you can't make it here or make it there, we understand. It's all right because we know that you're not stringing us along. And I always just pride myself on just being as forward and uh, and honest as possible, but also at the same time putting out good work. Like if I didn't put out good work or if I wasn't good at what I did, then those seven jobs would be probably down to two, <laughs> just because I mean <laughs> it, it's it's a product that you're representing and a company that you're representing at the end of the day. Um, but I, I'm I'm thankful, man. I'm really, really thankful because uh, just a little quick, I mean, I'm not going to say quick story because I can't, you know, minimize her like this, but uh, my family had a, a tough loss this past December uh, with my grandmother. She passed away and, you know, super old school, pray for all of her children, her seven grandchildren, just the rock of our family. Like our, our her house was, my grandparents' house was like, you remember the movie Soul Food? Yeah. Like that was our house or her, their house every Sunday. Like we come over there, eat, laugh, joke around after coming from church, all of those things. And I I had these I had these conversations with her where she would just like you would say, like, it's coming. Just just hold on. And she'd give me the grandma's spiel, like, hold on, baby, it's coming. Just keep working. I know you've been trying, but it's it's gonna be there. And she passed away uh right before her eighty-fifth birthday in mid-December or early December, I'm sorry, December 10th. And for some reason, I mean, you you go through the grief process and I'm still going through it. But when January 1st, 2019 hit, things just took off and I can't explain it. I can, you know, try and big myself up and stick my chest out and say, oh, yeah, this is coming from me putting in the work and grinding this, that and the third. But there are some, some things you can't explain, like the MSG thing or the overtime thing, just opening doors that no matter how hard I knocked, no matter how many emails I sent or contacts that I thought I made. No matter how many times grade.
0: you got banned. Nobody, <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they probably had my picture up, too. <laughs> like, do not let this person inside of the building. Um, but no no matter through all of that, again, trying to force things to happen, after the the first of the year, it just opened up it just blossomed and I was sitting back and talking to my wife and I couldn't understand it. And all she said, well, you know, that's, that's grandma looking out for you. Like she's off in a better place. And as religious and as prayerful as she was, it just seems like those, those prayers and those blessings became magnified and I can't explain it. It's just one of those things where you can say it's timing. You can say, you know, the situation opened up and I was able to fit in, but not like this though, you know, going out to New York with Madison Square Garden, with overtime, with the jam, with the stadium, like these are heavy hitters. You talk about these networks and these companies. Those jobs don't open up. And you know this being in Chicago especially, they don't mm-hmm. just open up like that or people just don't give you a chance like that. So I, I, I give it all up to her and give it all up to God to how I'm able to one, have these opportunities uh, to try and thrive in them and at this point, balance them as, as, as best I can. What's the best part
0: of being a dad? Wow.
1: You got to give me a second, man. You just hit me because before I came here, Um, you know, I always kiss my, my wife goodbye if I have to go work or excuse me. I always make sure that I kiss my wife and I kiss my son and tell him that, you know, I'll be back, daddy will be back. And my son has his tablet and he's all into like baby shark and all those things. So he raises his head up from his tablet and my wife is saying, well, daddy's going to give him a kiss. So he stands up and he just wraps his arms around my neck and kisses me on the cheek and said, all right, daddy, I'll see you soon. I love you. And when I think of that, it just intensifies my motivation and my hunger um, to, to be the best I can for him. And it's not even just career-wise. I've been blessed to have a, a great father, a lot of great male figures in my life, from my uncles to my father to my grandfathers. Uh, but I always wanted to make sure that I was the man that my son could look at and depend on and to know that his dad did everything that he could to uh, provide for the family, to teach him the right things, just all of those things all of those aspects and just qualities of a, of a good dad. And so I, that's why I just kind of go so hard every day because I know there's going to come a point in time where I won't be able to do that. And when that day happens, I want him to be as secure, whether it's financially, um, mentally, um, self-knowledge, all of those things. I want him to be as secure as possible to where now he can take the mantle or take the torch and lead on for his family and his kids. So, uh, that's that's the best part of being a dad is trying to teach my son and watch him grow and and get out of my old ways because he tests me <laughs> in terms of my patience. But it's it's just great to watch. It's, it's it's amazing to see basically yourself and someone else that's growing and absorbing everything and watching every move that you make. And I, I it's it's one of the things that I always wanted to be was a dad, even as a kid. I always wanted to be his uh, dad, like uh, watching Boys in the Hood, and watching Furious Styles mm-hmm. and that relationship that he had with his son Trey. Like, that was that was what I wanted to be. Or watching um, uh, South Central with OG Bobby Johnson, right? And how he led his life uh, the, down the wrong path, but then changed things around and became a better man because he wanted to be a father to his son, a dad to his son. So those just male figures, or even James Avery, Fresh Prince. I was going to say, Uncle, know, Phil, like Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil. Uh, Uncle Bernie. Yeah, Uncle Bernie. There you go. But guys like that. Um... um uh, uh i'm thinking of family matters can't think of um his name um carl 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 winslow Winslow. carl winslow like all of those figures of course you know with the cosby show and uh and and Heathcliff huxtable like all of those things in in addition to the male figures in my life i always wanted to be that i thought that was cool man i thought being a dad and you know having your son on top of your shoulders or walking down the street with ice cream was was cool and I always wanted to be that. So those those moments are, are, are why I love being a dad, and that's the best part.
0: Well, I'm going to let you get back to your son and your wife, who I'm very appreciative allowed you to come and be a part of my little podcast. I'm I'm proud of you, man. Thank you, Lawrence. I really you, Lawrence. am, because there was a moment where you were like, I don't know, and yeah. you pushed through it. Yeah. And now, like seeing you on the other side of it, it, it brings me incredible joy to see you succeed. Yeah. And I know that now that you're just going to keep winning. Like that's like you already have that spirit. You already had that. It was just you just needed an opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. now those opportunities are coming. And and now you're people can see what you can do. And what you can do is a lot. You add a lot to this business, man. You really you do. And I'm I'm so proud of like it makes me It makes me really happy to see you getting what you deserve because you have prepared yourself, because you have gone about this in an honorable way. And it's not the other path is easy. Yeah, it's very easy to not be honorable, but you've gone about this in an honorable way. The way that you talk about wanting to do for your family. Is something that all of us should try and strive for. So I'm I'm really proud of you, man. Thank you, I'm, Lawrence. I've, I've I've enjoyed watching this growth. There are two things about me that my wife always says: like you always reintroduce
1: me to other people, and you always overthink people. So I want to overthink you for the millionth time because I remember those conversations of us sitting down for breakfast, and even having the situation where, off air, I talked to you before. You have you had me on your show before. And I'm looking at you, I'm like Lawrence, and I, I, I felt that you could see the defeat in my eyes, and you said, "Dude, just hold on, man, hold on. I know, I know you're ready to throw your hands up, but hold on." So I appreciate you, and I thank you so much, Lawrence, for not only just believing in me, but also encouraging me to continue the fight, because I know you've been there before, and that's my thing. Like I, I for when I first came into the business, there were people that I reached out to that would say they would connect with me or give me advice or be like that semi-mentor, but never really transferred those words into action. But you have. And I've always prided myself to say if I can help someone, whether it's through conversation, whether it's through advice, then I'm going to do that. And I look at you and what you've been able to do for me just off of words alone, just the words alone. I appreciate every single one and the encouragement. It means a lot because it keeps me going. Because it's life, it's life, right? You're going to have your ups and downs, and you're going to need that person to pick you up. And like my wife is always there. She's always encouraging me. But it's different when you're in the business and you have those different experiences. So for you, Stephen Bartle, Scoop Jackson, even my man Jason Goff, like that is my guy because Jason and I had a conversation last year when he was going through his situation and I was going through a tough situation as well. He came out and kicked it with me for my birthday. And we went to like the old vintage arcade and we're like chilling, like both of our ladies, a couple of other people were out there. And me and Jason were just like off to the side, sitting down and just talking about, man, just all the stuff that we were going through, mm. just all the struggles and trying to uplift each other, but also hurting within ourselves. But we were just so fixated on building each other up instead of focusing on our own woes, man. So it was like a, a tennis match back and forth, like encouragement, um, just kind of instilling like of who they are and why they're so good and how things are gonna turn out great. And Jay and I were at the, the sneaker ball this past June at the Museum of Science and Industry. And there was a moment, man, where we just embraced and no words had to be said. We knew what was being said. 'Cause we saw each other just grinding, succeeding. All those things that we talked about, like, look, bro, it it's here now. So so guys like Jay Goff, yourself, and and Scoop and Steve Bardo, of course, my family, without you guys and that encouragement, of course, my faith and, and God, but without without those things, it would be it would be tough. And I'm not sure if I still would be sitting right here talking to you if I didn't have that.
0: I always love whenever someone brings up Scoop, just because like I, Scoop doesn't even know, man. Nah. He he's, like, he's like Mike. I don't think he understands the impact. I agree. I don't think that he gets yeah. it. I don't think that he gets that the way that he did things allowed for all of us to be ourselves. Yeah. Yep. You know? Like, yep. it, whether it was someone who wanted to speak for the streets yeah. or... In my case, speak for the geeks, <laughs> like Scoop allowed. There is a freedom that that his success allowed for anyone, but particularly black men in sports. Yeah, he's he, he is a light man. That guy is an absolute light. Whenever I see him, I just get so happy yeah. because he'll be like, hey, I was listening and I'm like really <laughs> like
1: that's the ultimate that's the ultimate nod right there when scoop says hey i was listening or i saw you on here i'm like you were watching tell me more i'm like the, the uh, tell me more the, yoda <laughs> right.
0: I, I would like to know more scoop yoda yeah, all right, show us the way please continue <laughs> do not stop <laughs> well congrats man thank you lawrence i appreciate it I, I i big things are even like i i can see it and big things are coming and you are on the forefront of it. So thanks Thank for doing this.
1: Appreciate you. L. Thank you for having me, man.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I, I, I love Cam Smith, man. He's a good dude. And there's, there's nothing but success in his path because of the person that he is and the way that he goes about doing his business. So, He's one of those guys keep an eye on. And, and that show that he's on with Shams and, and Amina, those, those three are, are a, a pretty special trio. So I hope you enjoyed it. Time for a little bit of mail. I know it's been a while, and if you would like to email the podcast, you can. HouseofLpodcast at gmail.com. I'll say it again for those in the back. HouseofLpodcast at gmail.com. This from Matthew. Lawrence, I'm starting a podcast. My friend and I have recorded our first episode. We are looking for some intro and outro music. I believe you mentioned your brother did yours. Actually, that's not true. My nephew did mine. Can you put me in touch with him? It would be appreciated. I can't wait to get this thing out there. We talk about all things pop culture with a little philosophy mixed in. I hope you were able to get, I hope to be able to get you as a listener. Thanks, Matt. Matt. Yeah, Matt, my nephew Justin uh, does, he created the the music for House of L. And we used to use a lot of his stuff, too, on the radio show. But he created this, and I, he gave me a bunch of different tracks. And I like this one. This one feels very powerful. So I, I plan to use it pretty much forever. I paid him for it. So guess what? You're going to have to pay him for it, too. He didn't just give it to me because I'm his favorite uncle. I'm his only uncle, but I paid him for it. So expect there to be a price for that excellence, but he will get it. He will give you options and he's got all sorts of stuff. This one from Tim Lawrence love the show. Every time I try to listen to the AB episode, I get a playback error. Huh? It happened with other episodes, but it's always been fixed in a few days. It's going on several weeks now I need to get my AB fixed. All right, I'll look into that. I didn't know that there was an error, so I appreciate Tim uh alerting me to that. Um even on on Apple Stitcher on Libsyn itself, I will I will listen back and see if that's that's something that I can fix. This from Dan. Hey Lawrence, good morning. I enjoyed your podcast. Let me get that right. I enjoyed your work for a long time and enjoy the podcast even more. I'm a teacher by day, so I've been catching up on your past podcast this summer on my daily walks. I listened to the Adam Rittenberg episode this morning. Near the end, you had an emailer express an interest in more historical episodes, such as the one you did with Dave Revson, which I also really loved. Would you be interested in having me as a guest? So that's what, like, people are just pitching me now on the podcast? I, I mean, I guess there hasn't for me to do an episode it needs to be it needs to be something that I'm super interested in. It's not just something that happens to be historic like I wanted to delve into the University of Chicago stuff, so I did There are other things that interest me, like the history of DePaul football because they had a team, and now they don't obviously stuff like that but it has to spark me first i appreciate you pitching but i i don't know if i'm you want to do something on the univer of western illinois or something like that i don't know it's it's got to spark me first before i would reach out but i appreciate you reaching out So that'll do it. I appreciate the emails. If you want to email the podcast, house of L podcast at gmail.com is the way you can do it. I think that there's going to be an uptick in the episodes over the next few weeks. I'm I just, there are a bunch of people that I've been trying to get a hold of and I wanted to talk to you and some people I want to introduce you to on the podcast. And, I think we're going to be I don't know if it'll be every week, but we're going to we're going to definitely start trending back in that direction with the podcast. I appreciate the support. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I will talk to you soon.
1: Peace.